Mahomes, their second year of existence, have won MLS Cup. Our final Joe Patrick, what are we going to do about all these damn youngsters? The youngsters. I was talking to Brooks Lennon last night. He just kept repeating the word youngsters. <laughs> Brooks, buddy, you are 25 years old. Yeah, I know, right? You are not the dad from Leave It to Beaver. Why are you calling people youngsters? What is happening? Just all these youngsters out here doing youngster things, causing youngster trouble. <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of good trouble from the youngsters mm. last night, though, in what was eventually a two-two draw against NYCFC. Uh, obviously, Nick Firmino gets the late goal there. That was super cool to see. He's been really excellent for the twos this year. I think he has like eight goals and three assists, which is some of the best numbers in the entire league. Uh, but in general, the the kids did a really nice job last night in a game where Atlanta United had no DPS, no Miles Robinson. And really seemed kind of set up to fail, but but didn't. Yeah, we're going to talk about it, obviously, more in this episode. But I, I think that what you saw from the the kids was just that kind of understanding of what it takes to, to make good things happen, which we've talked about in previous shows. Mm-hmm. And then just the fitness and energy and willingness to to do those things, to run off the ball, to run yeah, both off the ball, both in the attack and to cover space. When you're out of possession, it was just good to see uh, and good to see them rewarded for it as well. It was refreshing. It was refreshing. There were a couple of times I looked up and just Jay Fortune cycling back to the ball and then realizing he didn't have the space and then recycling and then moving into space, just doing those kind of basic things that we haven't seen at times this year. And like you said, Joe, they were rewarded for it. Tyler Wolf especially keeps getting rewarded for simply just getting himself in the box mm-hmm. and making the runs into good positions. He should have had a brace last night for exactly that kind of run. He told us afterward in the locker room, by the way, that he didn't see that ball. He told Doug, actually. He didn't quite see that ball uh, coming into him. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of bodies in front of him. So that's why he kind of reacted slowly to okay. what it looked like. Yeah. Uh, any other world, he probably finishes that. Uh, but... Still in a great position, in a position that you frankly never saw Louise Aruju get into. And it's just absolutely not a coincidence at all that Tyler Wolf now has four goals and Louise Aruju left Atlanta United with three on the season. Yeah, yeah. And I, on Tyler, I uh, I asked him kind of a question in private after he did his media last night. Cause, and we didn't get into it deep, but I wanted to ask him about the the loan that he had at Belgium where he like wasn't really making any appearances and... Mm-hmm. I had no stats really to show from from that uh, spell. Um, and basically what he said was like, it was still super valuable for me to just go over and be in that environment where it's uncomfortable. And I was just like fighting mm-hmm. for my spot. And I think it just helped him grow as a professional. And I think that it's no surprise that he comes back from that experience and is seems to be in a better position to perform on the field and succeed. And he's obviously doing that, which is great to see. That's super interesting because I think a lot of us were looking at that loan to Belgium and going, wait, what is yeah. happening here and why is it happening? Because one, it didn't look like he was getting much playing time too. It just didn't really make a whole lot of sense in general. You know, it was kind of worrying that I think he even came back early from it. Yeah, they recalled him. If I remember right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, weird stuff there with that. But I'm glad that he grew from it. And obviously, it's paying off. And obviously, the entire organizational structure and culture for Atlanta United is paying off right now in a way that I think people were probably a little impatient with. I, I mean, the team started in 2017, y'all. You're not going to just be churning out academy kids <laughs> yeah. immediately. But but now you're starting to see those processes pay off. I mean, Luke Brennan comes in last night and Luke was a part of the very first group of like U13s, which is the youngest level at the academy. Mm-hmm. Like there's a great picture of him at the first ever academy dinner and he just looks so just not happy to be there he looks <laughs> yeah. like a you know a 13 year old who got told to wear a collared shirt yeah right you right, know right. it's not Hate great right yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly but i mean that's been building up since 2016 they, they started in 2016 the year before the inaugural season um you're seeing noah cobb who comes in later but 17 years old from chattanooga comes in and really starts to progress really well. You're seeing Caleb is 18. You're seeing all these these homegrowns and these kids who have come through the academy start to to make an impact. And that starts with Tony Anon, who was the academy director 
at Atlanta United for the last first for years before moving on to coach the University of South Carolina. And then it continues with Matt Lowry, who I think we talked about Matt a bit before on the show. But every time I talk to Matt, who's now the academy really director, need to get him on. Let's oh, make myself a note right now. He's excellent. If I was going to have kids, I'm not. If I had kids or was going to have kids, I would just like send them to Matt and, and let him guide the way on a lot of it. You know, he's a really thoughtful guy, uh, really understands the game and really cares about the kids, it seems, and cares about developing them in the right way. Like talking to him about Noah Cobb, uh, he talked about how Noah is a problem solver and that kind of became the crux of the piece i read on the striker about it but Noah is a problem solver because uh the team kind of lets him grow right they face challenges in the game face challenges in professional life and allow him to kind of adjust to that and, and guide him along the way as needed and you know joe i was going through the locker room last night talking to the homegrowns as many as i could grab at that point That's anyway right. yeah, there were goddamn six and seven of them you know <laughs> at this point i'm counting nick um yeah. And, you know, I was just asking, like, what is what is the structure? What is the part of this organization that allows you all to be so confident coming in, even when you're young? And they were just talking about how there's always folks there to to go to, to talk to, to to go to someone in leadership and say, okay, here's what I'm dealing with. And here's uh, what's going on with me and having someone to be able to talk to, to lean on and get really solid advice. Right. Um, so when you couple that with a coach like Gonzalo Pineda, who's good at those things anyway as well, but also trust young players to come in because he's seen that work in Seattle, you get what you had last night, which is six homegrowns, one twos player coming in and coming back against a team that historically has been the second best team in the Eastern Conference over the last five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And That's it, a heck of a thing. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, huge night for those guys. And, it, you know, it makes sense when you kind of put lay it all out there like that, why there would kind of be a four or five year lag time in terms of when you kind of get the operation up and running the the academy system <laughs> versus when it actually starts to kind of provide fruit for you. And it's exciting to see now that we're at this phase, the fruit that is starting to come through the ranks and we're seeing them. We've seen center backs, we've seen midfielders, we're seeing attackers. Um, so it's really exciting. And I think that also it shows that, you know, these guys have struggled as a team at some of these lower levels. Like Atlanta United 2 has not been good in terms of the results on the on the field, but it goes to show why this is it, it was never it's never about results at that level. It's about actually mm-hmm. you kind of want them to face these adverse circumstances so that when they come into a game like last night um, and you've got six of them together and you've got, you know, you can see the goal in the first minute, you know, they they've have some understanding of how to kind of respond to that situation. I thought that that's something that Gonzalo Pineda said after the game that really stuck with me was the, just the resilience of the team and the, and the display and the attitude really of it all last mm-hmm. night, despite everything that was kind of going against them. I mean, considering how... The last game missing a ton of people went in Columbus. Yeah. Uh, you know, that could have spiraled real quickly last night. It, it really could have. But, you know, they, they fought back. They kind of very quickly within the next 10 minutes get that goal from Tyler Wolf, and they're off and running again. And we're largely, largely the better team. They only gave up three shots on the night. Just yeah. two of them happened to go in, yeah. <laughs> which is a, just a shocking recurring theme. Here at this point, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, yeah. But it, I do think last night was just really fun from a journalism perspective. Like you kind of mentioned, I mean, we were going around in the locker room and just getting to talk to these kids who kind of are having their own little moment right now. Right. Like this is one of the first games of their career for a lot of them. And, you know, it was exciting to see that kind of pay off mm-hmm. and to get some of that excitement coming through in some of the interviews and everything like that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, so, the, uh, Sam, I got a question for you. They do give up the goal in the first minute. It's yep. the second time that's happened in four games. To me, cool. that's a trend. That to me, that's a trend. That, <laughs> for that particular stat. If you do it twice in a matter of you know such a short short span as four games, that's a trend. Do you see it as a particular problem? Am I am I overreacting to it? It didn't even feel like they shut off on this one, though. I know. It was a really weird... It's a weird one to diagnose because you had basically no one, Juanho, try to come in to kind of close the distance and 
win a second ball. They don't. Which then is fine. Gets, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't. You still have Gutman back there, but Keaton Parks, you know, sprays it out wide. He's in a one v one situation. You would hope that he deals with that, but yeah, the shot ends up going past Gutman and obviously going past Guzan. The behind the goal angle of Pereira's first goal, the one where he kind of smokes Gutman, mm-hmm. was pretty filthy. I'm not gonna lie. He kind of did this uh, step over, kind of body faint, uh, without his foot on the ball, essentially, and just kind of he dragged Gutman to the left just enough to be able to have the angle on the shot, and I think it froze Guzan as well. And then when he comes back to the ball very quickly, flips his hips and kind of a snapshot to the far post. It was kind of filthy all considered. I think Gutman does need to do better there. I think he's got to step mm-hmm. out. I think you've got to, you've got to commit to something at that mm-hmm. point, right? Yeah. You can't just let the, the attacker just charge into the area that easily. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I'm going to give a little bit of credit to prayer there for, for what he did. Well, I did want to point out that Atlanta United has, they've given up four goals in the opening 15 minutes of games this year, which doesn't sound like a Mm -hmm. lot, but that is actually the tied for third most in MLS. Um, Only Charlotte and Philadelphia, interestingly enough, uh, have given up five goals in the first 15 minutes of games. Atlanta is tied with a couple other teams with the, the four goals given up. So you might think about that, that stat and say, oh, well, they need to be like more alert or ready to play. Um, but they've also scored seven goals in the first 15 minutes. So it's not like they're not <laughs> ready to play, you know, like it, it like they're mm-hmm. clearly like energized, ready to play. So I don't know if that quite explains it. And I don't really have an answer to it. I'm just kind of throwing this out there. The more maybe the more interesting one to me is in the second half, the first 15 minutes of second halves, they've given up nine goals in that 15 minute interval, which is the most in MLS. Uh, mm. Charlotte's given up eight. And in that 15 minute interval they have a negative four goal differential they've only scored five so they're down five to nine in that interval so um seems like they've conceded a lot so, of goals. majority of their goals have come at the start of starts of each halves so uh, did you check the other intervals by chance yeah yeah i've got them all here the last one's like the all action the 76 the 90th yeah. is absolutely insane <laughs> It's uh, 13 goals for Atlanta United against seven conceded, which mm-hmm. is wild. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that's about Atlanta United being bad at the starts or just kind of being bad in general, you know? I, I imagine they've given up a lot of goals in, in every interval relative to the rest of the league because they've given up the second most True. goals True. in the league. True. You know, I think that might be I forget about it that. more than like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if it was only happening in those intervals, right? Um, which is not to excuse any of that. I'm not saying like, good job, Atlanta, right, you know, right. but I think I think that feeds in more for me to the fact that uh, the 1v1 defending at times has not been great, especially from the fullbacks and the goalkeeping continues to be below average. Yeah, you know. Well, I'm not it is. You know, it's funny. I'm just browsing this chart now. The 13 goals scored in the final 15 minutes of games is uh, the most in MLS. It's actually two more than DC United, who has two more than the next team. So we're talking about like <laughs> multiple standards of deviation higher. Uh, and mm-hmm. obviously, it's just funny how all these things came into play last night, where uh, Atlanta scores and concedes within 15 minutes. They concede in the first 15 minutes of the second half, but then obviously get the equalizer in that all action time that they seem to love. And I think it's what, like eight goals now that they've scored in the last, like mm-hmm. in the 89th minute or later, something like that. It's just crazy. I've never seen anything quite like it before. Well, to add to that, I mean, to frame it maybe a little differently, it, I thought about Seattle a lot last night and I kind of tend to do this, like in comparison to what Atlanta is trying to build right mm-hmm. because we joke about Sounder south but it's very real when you start bringing in uh seattle's assistant coach and seattle's twos coach and garth Lagaway and all these kind of things right but the idea is to establish that kind of culture and then build on it in a way that seattle couldn't because you simply have more resources and i think we're starting to see some of that those cultural things that seattle have been known for kind of seep into what atlanta's doing because for a while Seattle was that team who you're like, oh, they called it like what Fergie time back mm-hmm. in the day for Manchester United, which I mean, it wasn't real. It was just that Manchester United was just really fucking good mm-hmm. and right. had a culture where they expected to come back. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Seattle was that way for a good chunk of time uh, over the last 
five years or so where they had an inevitability to them. And I don't think it feels quite that way for Atlanta United, but it's part of building towards that, I think, to have these moments, right? Would you rather have the easier, like, 3 nothing win? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right? But in MLS, you're not going to have that every week. You're going to have these moments where you have to fight and claw back. And I think it's a, a testament to the culture that is being built right now with this team to have it be not only Tiago Amada, right, but to be the homegrowns and Nick Firmino as well. That's huge to have it be from top to bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned it, the game against Columbus earlier in the season. I went back and looked at the starting lineup from that game and it was the exact same starting lineup except for two players. You had a John, John Jay Fortune in for Santiago Sosa. And you had Tyler mm-hmm. Wolf playing instead of Luis Araujo. And you get a drastically better <laughs> result. Now, listen, like that game was on the road and there's lots of different things that, you know, play into the game. Um, but still, just, I don't know, just just something to chew on there. That, you know, this team is maybe performing better with, you could say they're arguably less talented, but they're statistically, at least in mm-hmm. the winger's case, they're statistically more effective, which is interesting. Yeah, again, it comes back to our early conversation about just doing the the basic things right and moving off the ball and being willing to run for each other and everything like that. It's amazing how that starts to to pay off and, and manifest when those kind of elements are taken out of the lineup, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be really interesting to see how that's handled uh, going forward. Uh, Joe, honestly, like maybe not a ton beyond that to take away. from this one because this isn't the lineup that we'll be seeing the rest of the year even as good as they were you know for for large chunks uh you know atlanta will have your gusakamaki's back on saturday they'll have to have omada back on saturday for red bulls it'll be a little more dp and money (laughs) intensive the rest of the way (laughs) right yeah um but let's frame it real quick just everything just take a broader view uh this team has 29 points that's one more than Seattle has this year. They would be tied for second in the Western Conference with St. Louis. Uh, the East is just kind of a bear right now, but they're on, I think it's 1.53 points per game. That's on pace for 52 points. The 2017 team had 55 points. The 2019 team had 58 points. Considering the fact that we've seen this team be at like a full strength 11 like what twice Mm -hmm. this year and even that full strength 11 has clear flaws especially in central midfield you know and at times on the wings with Luis Arruzzi doing Luis Arruzzi things there's a lot of reason to be really optimistic that this summer window could hit someone could come in and, and fill those gaps that have been happening and this team turns into you know the kind of team that might even finish better than a 2017 or 2019 team it's it's kind of there for the taking yeah absolutely which is really funny considering i had somebody in my replies this morning uh talk about how gonzalo pineda needs to be fired because uh brag didn't make a save. <laughs> yeah, right it's like um but yeah i mean they can they absolutely have the chance to put themselves in a position to make a run in MLS cup and they might not be, you know, the favorites or whatever going into it, but that's the beauty of, of a tournament is that, you know, you just give yourself a chance, give yourself a play- home playoff game and a squad and you never know, you can make a run. So that would be really exciting and, and energizing certainly for everybody, us, the fan base, just everybody to finally for Atlanta United to be in that position once again, after it's been so long and, you know, credit to, Everybody that's taken had a hand in making that turnaround happen. No, I'm not saying that's gonna happen. This schedule is brutal. potential, right? Yeah, you're right. I, I think it is the toughest schedule in MLS remaining by points per game. Yeah, and just like look at it. It's it's Seattle. It's Philly a couple of times. It's Columbus. It's Nashville. It's Cincy twice. It's scary. Yeah, right. Uh, but at the same time, you know, this is a team that's. I don't know how to like not be anything but warm and fuzzy about last night to be totally honest yeah i mean if like when you get yakamakis back with the way that he's been playing this year because you know when they went through this bad run of form here 
when, I don't know the dates around it, but everybody kind of knows, you know, you were without Yorgos for a lot of that. And um, mm-hmm. when you get him playing every game, he's basically going to give you a goal. Um, he's playing at Joseph Martinez's level as he was in 2017. And, um, you know, you have a great playmaker behind him, Tiago Mata, if you've got those things. Plus, if you can, you know, reinforce in midfield with uh, the designated player spot that you have open, then I think that there's a lot of upside for this team still this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, a DP number eight, probably on the way. You know, a TAM level player, probably on the way. We don't know what's up with Marcy, by the way, as far as that goes. We'll talk about it in business time, but there should be room to bring in TAM level guys. You know, one to three players, as Garth put it. And I bet yeah. it's closer to two to three. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I, I kept on I've been writing things. I've written like I almost wrote in our show sheet, like for Nick Firmino scores the winner in like the 94th minute or whatever, because it really did feel like a win. It felt like but <laughs> I, it, you know, it, I think it felt like a win because they were able to pick up the point key and like keep some of that momentum going of just like picking up results, especially like when it's a result that you aren't expected to get. It really does feel like a win. So I think that it was just an important night last night for that group of players to do what they did. I think it will give them all individual individually it will give them confidence. And then I think it will allow the team as a whole to just kind of keep things going. Hopefully. Do we want to go like homegrown by homegrown here? Sure. And talk about their impact. I think sure. it'd be kind yeah, of fun. Yeah, yeah, let's do uh, it. Obviously Caleb did Caleb things. That was pretty good. He should have had an assist to Tyler. Uh, and was largely pretty solid on the wing, even as the team kind of struggled to work through midfield a little bit. Uh, it was a pretty high line from NYCFC, and they're pretty compact. It's funny because Caleb is still as young as the rest of these guys, but I almost don't consider mm-hmm. him like as a homegrown. Like I don't like look at him <laughs> the same way because I just kind of look at him as one of the best players on the team <laughs> in general. Uh, so yeah, I mean he gave you what you would expect. He's he's not as like dynamic as a left winger as you could possibly have, but. Again, just with his physical traits, and he can put in a, a nice ball, a nice service. So, yeah, it was what you would expect, I think. Yeah, made a really good run as well. Uh, Tyler uh, obviously gets the goal. He just kind of was in the right spot at the right time, but was in the box and, and looking for something off the ball. And, you know, Jay Fortune kind of got clobbered, and the ball bounced out to Tyler. And I think he basically said, yeah, just – hit it low and hit it hard at that point. It worked out pretty well. It was like a uh, it was like a rugby play where it's like the guy gets tackled but then just like <laughs> uh-huh. pitches the ball behind him and then uh, <laughs> it was there for Tyler, who I think probably should have crossed. Uh, he probably should have. I think Miguel Berry was there kind of open, mm-hmm. uh, but he took the shot and he scored, so can't fault him for it, I guess. Good for him. Uh, Jay Fortune started this one as well, and I thought he was largely pretty good uh, for the most part. I think he was better this game than the first game. I think he was a little more involved, a little more active. Um, still maybe looking, you know, he's, he's 20, you know, it is mm-hmm. what it is. Uh, and obviously he has the, the bad touch on the second goal going back and watching that one. The ball was maybe spinning a little rough. You still got to control it. Right. But overall, I thought he was a little better in this one. Uh, and hopefully he won't, worry too much about the the little mistake yeah it was a bad touch but you know it was kind of unfortunate for him that just the bad touch kind of went into the absolute worst spot it could have that kind of allowed mm-hmm. nycfc to play a little one too uh right in between two defenders so it was kind of a lot of things that conspired against atlanta united there in that little moment and you would think that it's just not something that's systematic or is going to be you know replicable rep- rep- replicable um but i thought he was good i agree with you that he was better than he was in his debut and i think that it was partially because he was not in a team with a lot of high volume players like tiago amato is going to want to be on the ball a lot or you know a luis araujo type where i felt like to me he was playing with more confidence because he felt like he needed to assert himself a little bit more and be a little bit more creative with his positioning and with his play. And so um, I thought it was really nice to see him be a little bit more ambitious on the field. And you can certainly see just the mobility and the things that he adds um, to the team where maybe he's not as like technical as a Mateus Rosetto, like, you know, touch for touch. But I think generally you'd take the kind of dynamism that he brings versus what you get Mm -hmm. with a a Rosetto. How's that too? Nice. Real quick, uh, while we're in midfield, Amar Sadich, uh, also on the supplemental roster, technically counts the same amount as a homegrown, which is uh, nothing. Thought it was very good. Thought it was really, really good, honestly. Yeah, one of his, his better games, maybe, uh, in Atlanta, especially defensively. Seemed very active as far as that goes. Won the ball back a few times and was a big part of the reason why my CFC only had like three shots. Yeah, totally agree. He was really good. Really good. 
uh, moving back, Noah Cobb. Too, I thought. Yeah, uh, Noah Cobb. Uh, look, I don't think Columbus was on him. I think we have, we should establish that. It's like a baseline, you know. Obviously, mm-hmm. they score six times, but I had a few people say afterwards, like, well, Noah wasn't getting a lot of help there, was he? And he was not. Uh, a lot of issues, a lot of issues in midfield. Uh, Wanho wasn't necessarily great. Uh, this time they look much better uh, as a group, as a unit, uh, as a pair. They they looked much better. Noah looked comfortable, and Noah's physical skill set for a seventeen year old is wild. Uh, he is really fast. He is strong. His frame is really impressive for a seventeen year old. Noah feels like a dude who, like twenty years ago. Would it have just been like a quarterback at his high school, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now he's playing soccer, um, <laughs> right? Um, the mentality and like mindset of him is very much that mm-hmm. as well. You know, it feels like he could have been in another life, a, a four-star guy who comes in and wins the starting job. But mm-hmm. um, no, really, really solid from him. And really a few solid 1v1 moments against Toss Magno, which is not an easy person to have really good 1v1 moments against. He's one of the better 1v1 guys in the league, but I think Noah won every single time mm-hmm. came up against him. That's mm-hmm. tough to do. Yeah, yeah, totally. I thought he was really good. And again, when we talk about the adversity like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, I think that Noah probably represents best like how the team generally responded to the moment that they faced last night giving up that goal. Because put yourself in Noah, Noah's shoes, again, the only other time you've played in MLS was that 6-1 clobbering. You were playing with the same center back you were playing with last night. Then you give up the goal in the first minute. Very easy to get totally rattled in that situation and think, mm-hmm. oh, my God, it's going to happen again. And it and it and he didn't let it happen again. So uh, really good on him. Um, and, you know, he's so physical for someone his age. I remember when we first both kind of saw him for the first time up close at the beginning of last season when they were doing some preseason scrimmaging and they brought in kind of all the homegrowns and reserves for the second half of this game. I think they were playing like Georgia Tormenta or something. And then like Noah Cobb mm-hmm. was out there like fat, like beating guys to the ball, shouldering them off the ball, like really aggressive. And it's nice to see a young center back with that kind of physicality, both with the speed and strength. Oh, can I read a quote real quick from Noah here? Just kind of about uh, being in the organization. He says, Ever since I got to the academy from Chattanooga, they always believed in me enough to bring me into the academy. And then I think from there, they just kept believing in me, and I felt that belief. After training talks with Gonzo, just one-on-one, just telling me he believes in me and telling me that, you know, just go be you. You don't have to do anything other than you. So that's what I tried to do today. Just go out there and do what I do. Be me. Don't try to be anyone else. Just be me. It's about believing in myself and believing that everyone around me has my back having everyone else's back as well uh it's a really good quote from a 17 year old first off mm-hmm. uh, second it kind of hits up what we were talking about earlier with just the organizational structure uh, allowing these kids to grow and, and feel uh needed and wanted in this system and that's important well okay so there's a lot of like you hear the play the kids mantra all the time and i get i obviously understand where it comes from um the excitement that people have to to see players in this situation but the the truth of the matter is that a lot of young players themselves do not feel confident when they go on the field um and i think noah you know he describes himself as a player who has gotten that kind of positive feedback from the coaches around him that has helped give him the the kind of positivity that you need to take with you onto the field when you're at that age and playing against, you know, top professionals. And so um, I thought that, you know, all the homegrowns have, have felt that way. And I think a lot, a large part of it is down to the management that they've received from Gonzalo, who th- these kids train with, you know, they're they're training with the first team often with Gonzalo Pineda personally. It's not like they're just kind of down with the twos for the whole season and then come up for, for a week of training. Um, they're there, most of them. And um, you, I, th- I think you're seeing Gonzalo Pineda's impact really kind of rubbing off on them. Yeah, speaking of those training sessions, I think Brooks was the one who said, like, this training week was pretty great yeah. because everyone was just so intense and going after it. Yeah, you know? he said it was as competitive, yeah, and as intense as it's been all year. And he says that that's down to you get young players who want to be in the first team and and you know get an opportunity, and they know that this is the perfect chance for them to do that with a bunch of guys on international duty. 
So hopefully, you know, that whole, that, that kind of brings in, um, an, another kind of talking point, which is, you know, I think it's very easy in MLS, especially for complacency to set in because the starters on teams are kind of set in stone just from a talent base. You know, you've got mm-hmm. like certain yeah. amounts of international players and designated players. So, like, I think all a lot of the, it's easy for these players to feel like they have a starting position. And I think it was kind of a breath of fresh air, probably for a lot of people, both the young kids who are coming in, then also the the more experienced players who were still around um, to compete with these guys in training. I think it was a breath of fresh air for them as well to kind of, you know, see everybody fight for their spots and, and see how it all was going to shake out yesterday. Uh, real quick, we got a couple more left. Substitute roles uh, for Machop Chol, who I thought came on and was just pretty much all over the place. He played like three or four different positions. By the time it was said and done, Atlanta was even in like a 3-4-3 three, three diamond or something to that effect mm-hmm. by the end of the game, just trying to get forward and get people in. Uh, but Chop was was lively, was active, and does really well in that substitute role, and I think he'll continue to stay there and, and do pretty well. Yeah, it's kind of funny how he plays in this kind of it was kind of like a number 10 role. He was kind of like in the channels mm-hmm. trying to find the pockets, trying to find the space on the inside, which you wouldn't really expect. Uh, but, you know, he he did well. He created some things, had a nice shot on goal, had a nice kind of uh, slaloming dribble there. So that was fun. He uh, he kind of has that in his bag, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of surprising for as lanky as he is, he's able to kind of work around folks the way he does. But yeah. it, it works. Yeah. It works, and uh, thought it was pretty good. Had I actually, a couple of good passes as well. I actually thought one of the more the most impactful subs was uh, Ozzy Alonso. I thought that the way that he moved the ball when he came not a on, homegrown. Yeah, he's not a homegrown. He's not a homegrown. <laughs> he's uh, whatever the opposite of a yes is in pretty much every single way. But I thought he was uh, just speaking about the subs. I thought he was uh, instrumental, mm-hmm. honestly, in um, Atlanta, kind of picking up the the endeavor in that last really the last five ten minutes the speed at which he passed the ball and moved the ball he wasn't taking that extra touch which doesn't sound like a lot but it really does just that that extra second gives teams the opportunity to get organized and it closes off space for other players and he was moving it just fast enough to kind of keep Atlanta one step ahead of NYCFC and keep them chasing and, and disorganized a bit there were some questions about Ozzy uh, coming on for Tyler. Just to clarify that, uh, Tyler was cramping. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Tyler was cramping. Caleb was cramping as well, I think. But they were good to go. Uh, Caleb even said afterwards, like, yeah, it's just it just happens when you're off for a few days and come back. And, you know, is what it is. I think it's what I, it is, but I, I, I agree. I think people make too much of, like, oh, why'd you take, like, this attacking player off when you need a goal? Sure. It's like, you know, I think the coach probably knows best. Like, he obviously, he started them, so he knows they're a good player who's going to help create goals. And if he's taking them off, it's probably for a reason, which is they're dog-tired after having run around. And I did feel like for in sure. this game, they were doing a lot of running in that first half, and I really thought mm-hmm. that they the, the legs were kind of getting to them earlier than... Um, and I thought, actually, the, the proactive uh, substitutions were a good move by Pineda. Agreed, agreed. And just to add to that, I think talking about the basics, the the pressing was much sharper in general, not in the sense that they were like recognizing triggers better or anything like that. It just felt like it was happening more as a unit because players were more willing to run and get forward. Amar was a big part of that. Tyler was a big part of that and thought it was really effective in general. And we know Miguel is is a good presser mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um uh, last kind of homegrown to talk about, uh, Luke Brennan comes on. I don't think he had many touches, but it was still cool to see him get in again. Part of that first academy class at Atlanta United uh, and also became the the second Native American player to ever play in MLS. The first was Chris Wondolowski. So that was a very cool moment. He's part of the Delaware Nation. I have a good story about that up on the striker.com. If I do say so myself. Um, and I mean, he's not a homegrown. Technically, he's 22 years old. He was a homegrown yeah. with the New England Revolution. Oh, oh but... Nick Firmino comes in yeah. and gets the the game tying goal and was it was a really clever run. If you go back and watch the goalie scores, I mean it's not really a run. It's kind of the absence of a run that ends up being a run. You see everyone else kind of dart forward towards the goal and he kind of like fakes and then slows down into the space that opens up because of that and was in a really sharp position. He's been playing really well for the twos. I know he's older, but there is that supplemental roster spot open. I am kind of curious at Atlanta maybe considers having him in that spot why not why not 
He looks really sharp. I'm kind of seriously too. asking, why not? Why wouldn't? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I don't know. Because the supplemental roster spots don't even count against the salary budget. Like, so. Right. The only thing I can think is like you'd obviously want him to, to continue getting playing time, and he may not get that with right, the team. Right. But, right. Like, I mean, he looked more effective than than I said to. <laughs> I mean, and he is he is technically something like a ten. He's more of like yeah. a honey. Yeah. Mukhtar kind of second striker shadow 10 essentially but that would be a, a backup for Almada technically okay this is going to be I don't want to explain do all the um, expository here but you were talking we were, we were chatting before the game about kind of what Pineda might want to do tactically and it does seem like mm. Firmino would kind of fit into one of those kind of 8-10 combo roles sitting in front of a defensive midfielder so yeah, maybe he could fit that maybe he could fit that we might have to do like a whole show on like what that might look like, but yeah. just just to lay out the thesis right quick, I, I'm not entirely convinced that Atlanta United needs a Tiago Amato replacement. And what I mean by that is I'm not sure the team will necessarily go after a true number ten in the way that Almada is. Some part of me feels like you could have dual eights in Pineda's system. Then obviously still you'd still want someone there to to have a creative element to them, but mm-hmm. um, you see teams like LAFC do it, and Gonzalo Pineda has mentioned Liverpool as well as kind of like a a model for what he wants some of his midfield players to do, right? And I'm curious if Atlanta might skew that way once Thiago Amato leaves. Just a thought. Yeah. We'll talk more about it later. The new Tottenham coach uh, Andre Postecoglou, who coached uh, Yorgos at Celtic, uh, mm-hmm. reportedly ran that kind of system too where you have you want to have the five channels filled there's always like a front five and it's how you arrange them so you can mm. use wide wingers which atlanta united has right now in a player like tyler wolf on the right and caleb wiley on the left then with the the obviously the center forward in the middle and then the two central midfielders coming up into those inside uh those half spaces in the channels could work could work um there was one other thing i was going to say about Firmino, but i forgot what it is so cool hair yeah pros hair i liked it yeah, exactly. Really exactly. carrying himself like a professional in the locker room. You know? <laughs> uh, he was okay, see. He was he was gonna do the interview. He had all he had a ton of cameras around. Whenever there's a midweek game, the the local TV stations just they need something to cover, especially when the Braves are out of town. So they're all at the game. And uh, so, anyways, it was great for I love it, and I thought it made media way better in the locker room last night. But it was so funny because everybody was gonna talk to him because he scores the big goal. So he's got probably what six cameras around with the bright lights and everything, and he was like about ready to just do the whole interview sitting down <laughs> in his locker <laughs> and Johannes from communications like normally people stand <laughs> he's like okay I love, I love those little things yeah, about like uh, you know players uh-huh. who just like aren't as used to dealing with media good, stuff. <laughs> good work Johannes by the way way, way, to, way to be out there yeah way to be out there. Great. he's the best of course of course uh, he's probably listening thanks for listening Johannes. <laughs> what's up Johannes <laughs> we love you um <laughs> Joe, anything else to add from oh, this game in particular? I remember what I wanted to say, which is actually not about Nick Firmino necessarily, but what do you think about uh, Mateus Rosetto not making the starting lineup? Well. The right call. That's what I'll say. <laughs> I, have I met my quota of, of saying kind of disparaging <laughs> things about Mateus Rosetto for the year? I think I probably have. Let's not harp on it. Here, I'll, let's spin it positively. I actually think he is typically been better as a sub and more effective as a sub i really like i really do and i that's i that's being perfectly honest like i really feel like he was pretty good last night when he came on he had one like, i thought so really yeah. silky moment um down near the end line but uh yeah i mean i, th- I thought he was <laughs> he was good as a sub and that's probably the best role for him we can just the salary aside don't need to discuss that necessarily you know how some folks do better in baseball as like closers because they can go all out yes. for like one inning yes. instead of the entire time. Or guys who randomly it, hit who like hit better in the eighth spot than they do like second. <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe Mateus is that. Maybe he tries to pace himself a little too much when he is not a sub when he's starting because he's like, oh, I got to control tempo and other fake mm-hmm. things that don't really exist. And that kind of restricts him from like wanting to get forward. But mm-hmm. when he comes in late like that, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, we're trying to score. Let's, let's go ahead and, and mm-hmm. do this real quick. Mm-hmm. And it looks, maybe it looks better. Just a theory, just a theory. Uh, Joe, not a theory, a fact. We're going to business time right now. Business time, Joe Patrick. We'll do this pretty quickly. Uh, Luis Ediju is officially gone. Maybe not officially, but pretty much officially gone. Uh, to Flamingo, he, he changed all his social 
stuff to Flamingo the other day. He was not at training when all of the fans were invited to come to training. And so you had people who were there be like, hey, we didn't see we didn't see Louise. Uh, so at that point, you know, obviously we were we, were, we checked in on it. And of course, Louise is on his way to Flamingo. He's not going to be with the team through uh, obviously last night and for the Saturday game against Red Bulls, even though he was originally planned to do that. It was just time. Uh, Gonzalo Pineda even kind of framed it that way, that midweeks, like it was just, yeah, it was just time. Sense. I think a mutual choice for everybody yeah. to have him go ahead and move on. And I think one of the reasons it was time is because, uh, you know, something I said on the radio back when the, the move was first announced, the, the transfer, uh, was that, you know, I said that Gonzalo Pineda will play him and because he's trying to win games. And until that's not the case, then... You know, it wouldn't make sense to, to bench him. But I think that the team has proved that it can win games and get results without him. So. Agreed. And you want to see and why not? Like if you're going to move into a Tyler Wolf era, at least for a little bit, um, then why not just get that started now? Get him running with his teammates. Yeah. And we should point out it will be a Tyler Wolf for just a little bit anyway. Added Haiti. It's called up Derek Etienne for the Gold Cup. Uh, they have a pretty tough draw. Yeah. Uh, in the group stage that I don't know how long Derek will be gone, but I can't imagine it'll be too, too long, but interesting to see what choices Gonzalo Potato makes uh, when Etienne comes back to see if Wolf continues to start or Etienne maybe reclaims that spot. It'll be pretty curious to see. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Miles and, and Jay also gone as well at the gold cup here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep that in mind going forward. Another player who seems to be gone as well, Joe Patrick business, Vicente Reyes, it's the LUTD two, Goalkeeper has had stints with Chile's U20 team. Uh, has done really well. He's been like their starting and, goalkeeper there. Yeah, yeah, done really well for the twos for the last couple of years. Uh, seems to be on his way to Norwich. Um, that was reported today by AS, and then I can kind of sort of confirm that it's it's pretty close, right? So uh, keep an eye on that. I don't know what kind of return Atlanta will get for him, but I imagine it'll yeah, be a yeah, halfway decent. You halfway think, that, you decent think there will be a return? return. Some kind of return. Yeah, I think so. Nice. But I don't know for sure. I don't have the details yet. Stay tuned on that. Stay tuned on that. Um, Let's see. Oh, <laughs> this. Um, Edwin Mascara is back. And that's weird for a number of reasons. Obviously, he's the fourth U22 player on the team. His loan was terminated early by Defensa Justicia. Uh, it didn't go well. Sounds like did not go well. Um, leaves a little bit of a conundrum for Atlanta United, who, like we said, have the four U22 players. You can only have three. Uh, he's back and training with the team right now, but not technically registered with the team as okay. part of the roster. Right. So stay with me real quick. Mm-hmm. So when the window opens on July 5th, that is when he will technically be registered again. This is my best he, understanding of this. He has to be registered at that time, I assume. I believe that's the case. It would make sense that for a U22 convinced. that they would need to be registered if they're with the squad. Exactly. Because technically exactly. you could so, like just like not register them like for right, a which player. Yeah. Ridiculous, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I'm thinking that's the case. That's my understanding of it from what I've been told. Okay. Right. Um, so Atlanta will need to solve that. The most obvious solution is that Mascara goes back on loan somewhere, but that's a really short time frame. For Atlanta to figure that out, I think they were somewhat surprised by this. Is Atlanta United 2 a lone destination he can go to? I don't believe so, because uh-huh. I think other folks would circumvent the roster. Right, that would make sense as well, that. because you, yeah. wouldn't want a U- you wouldn't want someone to just yeah, corner the market on all these U-22s and then just send them down to their... Yeah. Yeah, so uh, kind of weird, kind of messy. I guess you can could, you go to in Memphis theory. 901? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Emerson Hyman scored there can last we tra- night. Can we uh, loan him to uh, South Carolina? Um, <laughs> Tony, play for Tony. For sure. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Again, again, weird, weird. But I guess you could, in theory, you could take a player off the U twenty two deal, right, and just have them be on the normal budget charge for right. like a second. Like if you were going to, to transfer them out, sign them to a new contract, so, basically. So, so, like, if you were going to get rid of Santiago Sosa, you could have him be off the U22 deal for, like, a week and then transfer him out, right? Right. right. In theory, anyway. Yeah. Who knows? Um, um, 
we get one more thing oh, to talk we about. Get Marcelina Moreno. Marcelina Moreno. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cortiba activated. No, Cortiba completed the full transfer of Marcelina Moreno. Right. Uh, Rossing came in and made an offer for him that activated a clause in Marcelina Moreno's contract uh, or the loan deal, essentially. And Cortiba had 48 hours at that point to decide whether to allow Rossing to to take him or to go ahead and sign Marcy outright. Does that make some sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, weird choice for Cortiba that they did it. Uh, Marcy has one goal in 20 games, apparently. Yeah. It's not going great. Yeah. Uh, where does that leave Atlanta United? It's unclear. It's unclear. His salary was already off the books, right? Because he was on loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question that I've been asking and not getting a clear answer on from folks is whether or not uh, he is still on loan technically through the rest of the year. And then on like January 1st of next year is when his transfer will officially be completed. Gotcha. Or if he's already transferred right now. Uh, And the difference there is if he's transferred right now, his entire budget charge comes off. Right. 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 If he's still on loan, it's just a salary. It's not his amortized transfer fee and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Everyone following. Which would basically, so what we're talking about basically is a difference of about what? A million dollars? Yeah. I mean, if he was Max Tam as reported, which we're not sure. Yeah. But I think he was Max Tam. Then that would all be the reports yes, suggest that he was like in the six, seven million dollar range, which would be Max yeah. Tam. So, uh, uh, yeah. It'd be kind of nice to have him not be technically on the load i've i've asked around about that to numerous people haven't gotten a clear answer no one seems to know yeah uh so <laughs> maybe we'll find out when atlanta united officially confirms that he's gone i don't think that's happened yet yeah cortiva it has, did but, it has not ha- yeah cortiva <laughs> what i understand <laughs> cortiva has jumped the gun a little bit that this deal is not completely done yet but it's just more of like i's and t's that need to be cro- dotted and crossed so um but yeah it, I, I would from what I that's why it hasn't been announced at least uh, speaking of crossing I's and T's I don't think you cross eyes but whatever um, we got to do that right now let's uh, remind you guys that the patreon.com is available to you patreon.com slash five stripe final plenty of good stuff on there you can join the world famous five stripe final discord you can come hang out you can come get some extra interviews and you can come get the after show for the Red Bulls game on Saturday. This is this is your free show for the week. Yes. Yeah. The Saturday game will be on Patreon. That is right. right. Pa- Patreon.com slash five straight final. Go and check that out. That is right. Uh Jeb, anything else you want to add? Well, and since this is a free show, it's presented by our partners, Lucid Footwear and Clothing. They have a shop in Buckhead that's open by appointment and walk-ins from one to eight PM daily. It's at 3209 Paces Ferry Place, if you live in town. Uh, they've got new releases every Thursday on lucidfc.us. That is their website, so definitely check them out there, and you can use code DSS for free shipping within the United States. And we have somebody who emailed in who is officially uh, our furthest away listener, and I'm looking for their name now. Oh, my gosh. I'm just totally screwing this up. I should have had it ready. I believe his name was uh, – wait, I have it in your – because I DM'd you about it, didn't I? Let's see. Did, this yeah. is great. This is great podcast fodder. <laughs> Scrolling past all Bennett, of our bullshit. Bennett Bruno. <laughs> Bennett from Bennett Sydney. Bruno. From Sydney. So I was okay. So I used a, a website to look this up. What's the furthest place from Atlanta, Georgia, in the world? It's actually Perth, uh, Australia, which is on the other coast huh. of Australia. So if you're in Perth or Sukabumi, Indonesia, or Bandung, Indonesia, or probably anywhere in Indonesia, you'd be a little bit closer than, uh, than was it Bruno? Bennett Bruno, yes. Bennett. Bennett. So, um, but other than that, Bennett's got the title, so I would love to hear from anybody who is uh, further away from him. But uh, no free shipping, unfortunately for you, from <laughs> Lucid. Only if you're in the but United if you, States. If you buy something, message me, and right. I will pay your shipping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, wait. Hold right, on. Yeah. I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that. We don't get that we much can, Patreon money. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, but uh, that's we, fun. We, we fortunately uh, get paid an excellent questions from our Patreon members, though. You can that's right. You can ask questions too that's if right. you are part of the Patreon. We ask them on the Discord uh, for every show, and we'll start with this one from Rubber Anchor, who says, "Where is Barry, and why is he never where crosses go?" Uh, Miguel, again, not not necessarily super involved. Last night, uh, always kind of making good runs. I wish he would kind of try to run in behind more when the team is trying to go over the top. Like, if you're not going to be involved in the buildup, which he hasn't been, at least try to get in behind a little more. But, you know, for a backup player making 130K, he continues to be relatively serviceable for what the team needs him to do, which is be active, press, and, and be around the box yeah yeah he's if only he was a little bit faster he probably would have some more opportunities but he's at least dragging defenders around which is uh, i think opening mm-hmm. space for some other players so yeah at least there's that but you're right i mean at the end of the day he's a reserve striker rubber anchor says as well uh, what made new york's press so effective in the first half basically what i'm coming to realize joe is that any team that sets up and and some kind of mid block or even a low block with two folks up top that can disrupt the center backs. Mm -hmm. It's caused a lot of issues for Atlanta. It it forces the ball out wide in a lot of cases. And then teams trigger in on the flanks. And once those moments start happening, they're kind of forced to play dangerous balls inside. And that's where you see some of the transition moments pop up and the bad giveaways and everything like that. Um, So if you're, if you're going to beat Atlanta United, uh, you can either do that or you can do what LAFC did, which is press the hell out of them with three in the front and three in the midfield, you know, and go out wide and cut off all of the areas with pressing. Uh, and then if you get beat, you just drop back into a low block four, four, two and, and cause a bunch of issues there mm-hmm. as well. Fortunately, not every team is LAFC. Some teams are NYCFC in Chicago and they have to sit in that four, four, two mid block, but still that's causing issues. Yeah. I thought it was uh, something. So I've been saying for a while, I feel like Atlanta is most vulnerable when they're being pressed and teams that don't press Atlanta typically fare poorly because Atlanta is able to just build up exactly how they want and then get the ball into their playmakers once they're established their offensive organization. But I thought that you're right to be more uh, the the more specific prescription or uh, like um, diagnosis, I guess, of what is frustrating Atlanta United is when those two center backs are covered. And I thought that NYCFC, to me, they were playing like a 5-2-1-2 or a 5-2-3 with that with that central forward drop back into like a false nine where he's like falling back mm-hmm. into a central attack mid area. And so what they were doing was they were using those two forwards to cover the center backs. And then that false nine was dropping to Mark uh, Franco Ibarra, who would come deep, who would be the other outlet. So then Atlanta was relegated to spraying the ball out to those fullbacks. And whenever that happens, it's just, they're just not very good at it. They're not very good. So maybe it's something that they could train a little bit more is um, how to build up when that is the outlet for Bragazan to go to. Um, Cause I thought that they've, they've really struggled with that for, for quite a bit now. Yeah, and that's also where the eights can come in and really start to make themselves yes. available as well yeah. in those moments. And that's where, you know, a potentially more talented player would be more effective at. And we're, why Mateus Asetu is just such a non-factor in those situations as well. Yeah, we were, we were drawing this up all uh, <laughs> last night before, before <laughs> the game. But yeah, if, 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 if the team does transition into more of a, a shape and personnel like you were describing with those two eights, you'll have more support in those flank positions with players just stationed a little bit closer to those areas where they can then find those triangles and progress the ball forward. Right, and just to add to that, I know everyone's looking at me and being like, didn't you just like shit on Franco Ibarra as a single pivot for like 90% of the, the year, like just a second ago? And yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily great, but that's where, you know, having talented DP level eights who can cover a lot of ground and make things happen, that's where that starts to make up for some of Franco Ibarra's mobility mm-hmm. limitations, right? And it also provides potentially some extra options in midfield if they're able to drop back and, and kind of build up in that single pivot as well. I love Franco Barra so much just since you brought him up. Amazing. He's just such yes. a, dis- <laughs> whenever he's going in for a header or something, it's like, Oh my God, everybody watch out. He's coming in. <laughs> he just destroys everything in his path. He had one moment last night where he overran the ball and his momentum was such that it carried him like practically out of bounds. And he like, <laughs> he turned on like a, a silver dollar, not a dime, like a silver dollar. And then just launched himself in the air like an orca coming out of the water towards the ball. 
and he won the ball back. Yeah, it was just kind of majestic in its own <laughs> its own way. Hmm. Love him. Love him. Ralph says, "Am I wrong to have some warm and fuzzy feelings after that match?" No, no, you're not. Not at all. I felt, I felt good about that one with yeah. the kids coming through. It was it was what? reminiscent to me of there was a moment a couple years ago where Seattle went into Austin and started like six teenagers and still won in Austin and. That was somewhat reminiscent hmm. uh, for me last night. It was funny to me in the locker room. It seemed like media were like more excited about the result than the players even were. It's like the players had to be like, you know, remember we we, we didn't win. It was a draw. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think everybody's kind of feeling mm-hmm. warm and fuzzy after that one. <laughs> Good thing Red Bulls are next to just stamp that out. <laughs> Uh, Manifact says soccer is cool and fun when everyone on the field moves without the ball. Can you just gush about the winger movements and willingness to play the runs that made things very spacious? Let us operate in wide spaces and be dangerous often. I, I largely agree with that. I wish Atlanta had maybe been a bit braver even in going over the top a few times like they were uh, in the previous game against DC United, right? But I think you maybe didn't quite have uh, the same level of runs being made that Etienne and, and Yakamakis were making in that game but still they, they were putting in the work and putting themselves in a good position and that's 90 percent of the game it really doesn't have to be much more complicated than that yeah i think um there was a little bit of a lack of cohesion where in the previous games like when we see Derek etienne he's like so good at, at really bending the run and you can see like the fullback whoever has the ball is really kind of looking for that and then kind of you know releasing him just at the perfect time where he can get in behind i think some of that was missing from this game but to your point like the the and to manifact's point like the effort and the the it was was there to to try to make those things happen it just wasn't at quite as cohesive even Gonzalo Pineda said that after the game that it was just the cohesiveness wasn't quite there for that reason it's not like they played the most attractive attacking soccer we've ever seen but in general it was you could see the willingness there and I think that that's what fans really appreciated and not just willingness but the fact that it did work from time a time or two mm-hmm. and that's what you want that's why you want to see the players making those kinds of runs Bad Boy says, if you get a chance to review uh, how much of the goals were on Brad, not a ton. It, he wasn't great. I think maybe an above average keeper stops half of those, but it is what it is. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know how much we can keep really pouncing on it. Yeah, I, I haven't looked at him, so I, I don't know. I don't think the second one is really his fault at all. Um, I haven't lo- looked at that first one closely, but... Could, it's tough. Could they be he, saved? He could have come off his yeah, line. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, could they be saved? Yeah, but they were. That would be like a really good save that bails you out of a spot where you really deserve to concede anyway. So, <laughs> right. And so, essentially, we're just saying there's not a match winner. Yeah, and goal. Yeah. And you know, exactly. That's that's just where we're at with mm-hmm. it. Uh, T Turner says, when Hosetsu leaves in January, do you sign Firmino as a replacement on an MLS minimum contract to back up our new ten slash eight? I don't hate that at all. Don't hate it. Not one bit. Might Seemed as well. really lively. Yeah. Seemed really like eager to get on the ball mm-hmm. as well. And obviously that was short minutes, but uh, again, he's been really good with the two so far. I think it's worth exploring a minimum contract. Yeah. Uh, Pineda had 17 says, are we just 2021 Nashville with extra steps or 2022 Cincinnati with less steps? Uh, this team and 2022 Cincinnati align very similarly <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, just giving up goofy goals and playing kind of these high octane high scoring games uh obviously cincinnati took a couple steps to turn themselves into the supporter shield leaders and de facto winners at this point they signed a number six named obenin oboto he's been fantastic he covers a ton of ground he wins the ball back does really well they also brought in matt miazga as a center back and uh yerson mascara as well as a center back and really kind of solidified the spine. They got a lot better defensively. They aren't necessarily beating teams to death right. with their goal scoring anymore. They're just playing really solid defense. And they've and got so, a really good goalkeeper. Yeah, no, he's been great. Uh, Roman Celentano has been really solid. So they lined all of their spine, essentially. And that is what Atlanta United is moving towards. And, you know, once they get that kind of set, I think I think we're going to see similar results. Mm-hmm. Agree. Agree. I don't have anything else to add about that. ATL Greg one says, how do we stop the wave from happening? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. 
I also made a comment to Sam about this when it was happening. I don't want to be that guy who just like craps on everybody's good time, but just personally, I'm not a fan. (laughs) It's not, it's somewhat understandable at like a baseball game where there is like downtime. Yeah. There's not necessarily a lot of downtime in a soccer game. Why are you, why? Or if you're, if you're winning three, nothing, then I'll like, let it go. But like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. The team was losing (laughs) and I made it like injured and people are like starting the wave. It's like, what are we, why? That was about the time I said to Sam, I saw this Gareth Bale interview recently where he was talking about MLS and how they're, they take (laughs) losing a lot easier. (laughs) I just randomly thought about that as I was seeing the wave Mm -hmm. go around. Revelatory stuff, Gareth. (laughs) Really, really great stuff. Um, Anyway. Uh, ben says, how many touches did Barry have? I can look this up if Joe wants to vamp really quickly. I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know because now that I see the question, I can't really think of many times where, again, he actually touched the ball. But he is a kind of presence up top. And again, we talked about him dragging players out of position. I haven't looked at a good replay of it, but I would wonder if uh, he may have been kind of a focal point on that last cross where Firmino was kind of able to slip in behind him and and get ahead on the ball. (laughs) So Miguel Berry had 14 touches. Um, That's not great. Uh, Nicholas Firmino had 13 and that was about like (laughs) what, 10 minutes of play there? Ozzy Alonso had 16 in very limited time. Uh, So Miguel just just not getting on the ball. and That's pretty typical for Atlanta strikers over the last couple of years. Even Gigi doesn't necessarily get on the ball a ton, right? He gets right. on the ball more than everyone else. Cause he's really good, but even Gigi doesn't necessarily get on the ball a ton. In this system, the strikers are, are set up to be, you know, the, the kinds of players that capitalize on limited touches inside the box. Uh, Miguel isn't necessarily getting those, but like you said, I don't think it's necessarily being all that bad either. Yeah, listen, like I, they, they did try to play the ball into his feet one time and he's just not quite as strong in the hold up play uh, as a player like Yorgos Yakamakis, who they can play the ball into his feet and then he can kind of distribute it back and then run on and you know create something. And they tried that with Barry and it just didn't come off. And again, listen, he's just like, yeah, he's not like. Is he a good striker in MLS compared to everybody else's starters? No. Is he good striker compared to everybody else's backups? Yeah, he's probably like about average MLS backup mm. striker. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's, you can only ask so much of him. I think you you could do a lot worse. You really could. Um, I will say too, it's funny looking at the stats and seeing Atlanta United with like zero point seven xG. The only reason that's zero point seven is because Tyler Wolf, the play where he like could have tapped the ball in theoretically uh it went backwards it didn't register as a shot um so that was not counted in the xg yeah for this game because it was technically just a touch hmm. uh xg would have been like 1.5 1.6 for atlanta probably had that yeah. one been a shot right yeah. just keep that in mind uh, and again, i mean i think even the more impressive thing about the game is that they only allowed three shots you know it's like they didn't really give nycfc was never like dominating that game you know on the ball it was atlanta united who was who was had most of the possession doing the the more kind of things you want to see your team do in the attack so good for them uh we're going long here so we're gonna skip ever a couple rob Ushry says am i justified in my unadulterated hatred of louise eruju uh i will say that louise uh didn't Rob's necessarily go off. out <laughs> Yeah, he didn't necessarily go out in great terms. As Rob kind of points out, uh, he he did the fingers in the ear celebration after that one goal, his third of the season. (laughs) Cool. Uh, He he seemed really eager to get out of here. I don't necessarily think people are going to have a whole lot of just uh, cozy feelings about Louise going forward. What boggles my mind is that there are some Atlanta United fans who are like, hell yeah. Like that was like their favorite moment of the season when like Louise Araujo put his fingers in his ear. It's like cool i thought it was actually yeah it was kind of shameless in my opinion and it came in like (laughs) like it wasn't even like a decisive goal if i remember correctly it was kind of like at the end of a game where the team was already winning and it was kind of uh adding on to a a score line that's what i remember i kind of wondered did louise ever score a game winning goal i'm not i kind of wonder i just kind of wonder that'd be good good one to know i'm not gonna go back and look through all uh 11 goals but um (laughs) who has that kind of time uh, by the way, uh, Jeff Patrick, Tito Viaba, 
13 goals, 11 assists. Wow. In 2017. Okay. For that year alone. Wow. Uh, Luis Arujo, 11 goals, 12 assists for his entire time in Atlanta. Uh, Telemachus says, where does signing Arujo rank in the list of reasons that Bocanegra's contract was renewed months after the transfer? I believe the two events are significantly linked and wish it was talked about as much as extending his set to is. Uh, initially, the, the Arujo signing seemed good. You know, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of reasons that it should have worked out. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to fault anyone for that. I wrote about that this week at the Striker, right? Mm-hmm. Hosetsu, literally no one thought that was a good idea, even when it happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, again, I hate being mean like that, but that's where that's the truth. Yeah. Um. Also, I think Carlos was getting extended either way. I don't <laughs> just to add to that. Yeah, I think that it doesn't really I think that Bocanegra's contract getting extended didn't really have as much to do with these uh, two players as. It was just the timing of all the things that was happening within Atlanta United's front office and leadership more generally with Darren Eels departing and um, just a lot of moving pieces. The team just needed somebody who was going to be there to make, you know, some basic transactions like end of the year stuff. Um, So in my opinion, that's that's one of the main reasons, Um, probably more so than. um, Yeah, related to Luis Araujo or. Mateus has that too. All right, last one here. Palingui says, what did y'all think of the late Firmino and Brennan subs? Was that a, oh, we're going for it moment or a, we're losing, may as well play the kids moment. I don't think it was necessarily, well, no, I think it was an, oh, we're going for it mm-hmm. moment. I think those were attacking. I think Gonzalo trusted both of them to come in and, and have something up their sleeve. And clearly that paid off pretty well. Yeah. I, I actually asked uh, Firmino about this after the game. Like, he's <laughs> like, what did Pineda tell you? He's like, go score a goal <laughs> he's like there's basically he had no specific instruction it was just to get forward and yeah just create chaos try to score a goal it was all hands on deck at that point so um good good for him for doing it and you know brennan has showed that he's got quality he scored in that uh the uh the luca amp up cup yeah, game yeah. yeah so um yeah he i mean i he both these players have shown Pineda that they've got something. Pineda said they've been scouting them. They've been going to Lane United two's games to watch them in person. So they definitely know what they've got. And I think that was the reason they came on. Joe Patrick, we know what we've got and we've made it to uh, the end of the show. We've got the end of the show. That's what we've got. Joe Patrick. Uh, we've also got a Patreon, patreon.com slash five strike final. Check that out. Come join us over there. Go check out Joe on 92.9 The Game and DirtySouthSoccer.com. Go check out me on TheStriker.com and MLSSoccer.com slash newsletters. Whole lot of stuff coming to you guys as we continue through another busy part of the season. A yep. uh, whole bunch of stuff coming up. Transfer window opens July 5th. Keep an eye out for all that stuff. We're close. Uh, it's going to be interesting to yeah. say the least joe anything else to add yeah just a big thank you to everybody who's been signing up for the patreon we've had uh several here uh recently we even had somebody uh, give a patreon uh, got their dad signed up for it uh and got him in the discord so that's great um it's not like an official g- i wish there was like a gifting thing but i think he just basically like paid his dad for uh, for a certain <laughs> amount of time for him to get in but uh that's great so we really appreciate uh all the new signups it's awesome to to hear from all you guys who are enjoying it so thank you Great work, everybody. Great work, Joe. Let's get out of here. Bye, all.